You may be seated. Well, if you will, take your Bibles tonight and turn to Psalm 19. You get stuck with me because Wes had to take a break to go out and run all the kids' programs out there. The Bible Adventure Club store is on. If there's flames coming out of the modular building, it's probably because of all of the deals, 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 sale here, sale there. I, I one year would like to run the Bible Adventure Club store. Yeah, that's probably what I think. Yeah, I, maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. Uh, so I'm not going to teach or preach in First Peter. He's doing a wonderful job of that. Um, I'm always impressed with how God works in the hearts of our church and the men in our church, especially the ladies as well, but the men of our church. Um, I'm convinced the health of bluegrass is always dependent upon the men in the home. Um, that doesn't mean we don't have godly ladies. We have some fantastically godly ladies in our church family, but uh, the health of the church is always dependent upon godly men, and I'm thankful for everyone that always steps forward and says, yeah, I, I think I can teach. It isn't hard to teach. It's hard to teach accurately. Uh, that, that's, that's the key. I, you can get up here and talk about things, but uh, Wes has done a wonderful job. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed watching him put together his thoughts. So tonight I just want to look at the wonderful in the Word in Psalm 19. It's a great psalm. It's a psalm I come back to often when I am discouraged because it is filled with greatness. Uh, just the majesty of God and the Word of God. I'll start with a verse this evening, though, that's not in Psalm 19, because we're going to look at each of the verses tonight in, in detail on some of the words in Psalm 19. But in Psalm 92 and verse 5, the Bible says, O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. Father, help us tonight as we come to Psalm 19 and study it. We see the beauty of your heavenly wonders, and we find the truth in your holy word. That's what the psalm is about. Help us to understand it. Help us to use it and apply it. May we always be Christians who are ready to take this eternal word, this blessed divine source of strength and power, and use it in our daily lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are but two ways in which man can know God. Those two ways are generally and particularly. And by that I just mean we can generally know there's a God because we can look at creation and we can see His handiwork everywhere. And specifically or particularly, I mean, we can find out exactly what that God wants us to know about Him in the 66 books or 1,300 chapters of this Bible. Well, David deals with both of those in Psalm 19. Let's read a couple verses together. Uh, we'll probably read the whole psalm in one setting here, and then we'll come back and we'll go through and teach it tonight. He says and begins in verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. 
In them hath he, hath he set a tabernacle for the son, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth, that is the son, is from the end of the heaven and is circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. This is the power of God seen in the majesty of creation. Verse 7. David couples together the wonder of God with the Word of God. He says this in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? In other words, how can you understand when you're wrong? And the answer is, by this book. Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Psalm 92 that I began with is a song of the Sabbath, and it would be sung as they would come to worship God, or as they did nothing in their homes but worship God. And they would sing what we read at the beginning, O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. How great are thy works, how deep are your thoughts. Have you ever said that about God? Have you ever stopped and just really thought of God in that way? Or is it you get in your car, your keys are rattling, your coffee is spilling, and you're off to work. And you don't think that much about God. The kids are bothersome, it's a tiresome, toilsome day, and you come in at night and you don't think that much about God. And what David says in Psalm 19 is, just stop for a while and think about God. Think about that which is wonderful and think about what His Word accomplishes in you. David in Psalm 19 begins by addressing God's revelation of himself in the heavenly wonders of God. First in your outlines this evening. In verses 1 through 6, we see the heavenly wonders of God. I, I, I can never escape a picture when I see it like this. That's why I used it for the background. A man standing alone, staring up into the heavens looking at the vastness of what God spoke into being. My, one of my favorite all-time verses in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 1, on the day of creation that he made the stars, and he just says he made the stars also. Why do you think it wasn't important for God to tell us about Betelgeuse or any of the other cool named stars that are in the universe? And the answer is because those stars don't affect us. Our star does, our sun, and he talks about it here. He talks about it in the days of creation. But he says, I created that too. As if it's an afterthought. That's how mighty, wonderful, and powerful the God you love and serve is. Have you ever done what this man is doing in the picture? Just sat and looked up at the stars? 
I remember one time I was broken down in traffic and I did that. I don't mean that, right? I mean, literally just taken a day or taken time and paused and gone out into the middle of nothing and looked into the heavens. You say, Kyle, my life is too busy. May I suggest it probably good for you to unbusy for a little bit and do something like that. One of the things that I enjoyed back when I was a single man and one of the things that Jessica and I are looking forward to when we have no more kids in our house and we have some freedom to travel a little bit more and it's not as expensive is to drive around out west. Oh, I loved that. I remember one time I was talking to Scott just before church about being out in Palm Springs, Palm Desert area, about near 29 Palms and And I was out there on a trip for the company that I worked for. My dad was kind enough to put me up in a hotel on a golf course so I could play golf. I was a single guy. And so one day I just took the rented Jeep I had and drove out towards Phoenix on I-10 until there was no lights. Turned off the interstate and drove. I probably was about to get killed. I didn't know it. But I went way back in the low desert of California. And I can tell you that even in America, you can still see the heavens like that. It's glorious. It truly is amazing. And what it does, by the way, when you do something like that, is it makes you aware that the problems that you have that are right here aren't really that big after all. I get the sense that David was in just such a situation here in Psalm 19, especially in verses 1 through 6. David tells that the heavenly wonders reveal first God's purpose for creation. In verses 1 through 3, why did God do it? Why did He create as He did? The purpose in God's creation revelation is that we might know His glory, according to verse number 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. I don't think we read anywhere in the Bible that the face of a human being declares the glory of God. It's not that it can't with joy and contentment, but it's the heavens that declare just how awesome He is, just how magnificent He is, just how wonderful He is. In the second half of verse four or verse one, excuse me, we find and see His excellence. We know His glory. But we also see His excellence and the firmament. That is the area or the space in which we can occupy. When the Bible begins in Genesis 1 and starts dealing with the firmament and separating the firmament, it is within that space that we actually exist. It is in the space that we can actually occupy. And what he says is what we see, what we can go and touch and feel, what we can smell in the fragrant flower, what we see in the beauty of the sunrise or the sunset, what we smell after. After the rain, when we see all of that, we see the excellence of who God is. Just how He weaves it all together. In verses 2 and 3, we understand His wisdom. God's heavenly wonders drive us to a Creator. It is inescapable. They tell us creation of intentional and intelligent design. They speak of purposeful labor, day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. By the way, it wasn't until late in human history that we were wise enough to figure out that all of those stars themselves have planets that surround them, just like our star does. So the night does show his knowledge. God knows what he's doing. 
God did not create a universe that could exist for billions of years. (gasps) I'll talk about that in just a second. Don't gasp at me. And not intend for the height of that creation, the only thing made in his own image, not to enjoy it and explore it. Now, some of you heard me say that it has existed for billions of years. I'm simply saying the universe as it is created can exist for billions of years. Is he going to wipe out the universe when he decides to make a new heaven and a new earth? I don't know. I don't have to pass my ordination anymore. I've already done it. And the point is, neither do you. But if he doesn't, then we will be exploring that for the rest of eternity. A billion years, a trillion years, and whatever comes after a trillion in our house, it's a kajillion. That many years, we will be able to explore just the depths of the knowledge of God. Earth is merely God's footstool, we're told in the Bible. The universe is his garden. When we reign as kings and priests in eternity future, I believe that we will be exploring and understanding and living more fully in these first three verses of Psalm 19 than we've ever known before. The Bible is eternal. These verses will apply to us then. What a joy. The universe tells us that God is purposeful, but it also is the first way, it, 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 that's the first way it reveals itself to us, but letter B, we find it speaks of God's pattern in creation. It's not just the purpose that David speaks of, it's also the pattern. When you get to verse number four, you see that he begins to start talking about things like their line going out. David gives us two magnificent principles within the pattern of, cre- of creation. Uh, that even David himself could not fully understand in his day. And by the way, we can't fully understand in our day. But science is teaching us a lot about what these verses are telling us. And we're going to have some nerd time with Pastor tonight. We see, number one in our outlines, that in God's pattern in creation, there is the music of God's song. The Bible tells us that the rocks cry out, that the heavens sing and declare His glory. In verse number four, the Bible says, their line is gone out through all the earth. What line? Well, the line here is in the original Hebrew. It means their musical harmonic chord is going out through the universe. Literally, it is God's musical note of creation is literally perpetuated through all of his created substance, all of the matter. That's what he's saying here. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard, he's just told us in verse 3. Well, what is it telling us? It's telling us about the knowledge of God from verse 2. And he says, that knowledge has gone out in effectively a musical song from Almighty God. How much does God love music? He loves it to the very core of his being. The angels who were protectors of his glory, the named angels, it seems, are musical creatures. Lucifer, before the fall, the Bible tells us in Ezekiel and in Isaiah, his body, his entire existence was filled with pipes. That means he was built to create music. The music of God's song speaks to a mind with intention. 
The modern scientific community has finally become smart enough to admit that the complexities of the universe are beyond chance creation. Here David says the truth, the line, that which we know of him is literally sung in everything you see. The concept of fine-tuning within the existing universe speaks to someone who has designed it and has arranged it in such a way. It's not a random developing issue or item. It is as a whole purposeful. When I say the scientific community, I mean even the most ardent rejectors of God have come to the point where they say there is intelligence in the structure of the universe. Some say the universe itself is alive, thus the intelligence... That is the materialist dogma through and through, the intelligence, intelligent design. That's what they call it. They can't even come to say it's God. They just say it's some intelligent designer. I know who he is. The latter half of Psalm 19 tells me who he is. Others of the scientific community postulate that alien life beyond our own imagining might have built the universe. Yes, his name is God. It's not hard to figure out. And yet sometimes as Christians, we kind of bite our fingernails and we worry like, I don't know how to explain that. Just tell them it was God. They don't have a better answer than you. Finally, some of the scientists that still reject God but understand the structure and underpinnings of the universe think that we just live in a simulation. My boy Elon thinks that. We're all just living in a computer world. Maybe we are. Maybe it's God's. It runs pretty well, better than my computer. By the way, all of these are preposterous. They're merely avenues for God deniers to make sense of God's design, and you can't make sense of His design without the designer. The words that David uses here are beyond his own human comprehension. He says they're line. The word line means their musical chord. David is saying that God's harmonic resonance, literally, in creation, penetrates and permeates the substance matter of this universe to the atomic level, we might say. Science has actually come to discover two truths that make the Bible even more true than it ever was. And you say, oh, heresy. No, what I mean is it's always been perfectly true. Now it's proven perfectly true. That's what I mean. It's even more true than it ever was before. The first discovery is that all matter in the universe, science tells us, gives off its own harmonic resonance. Oh, man. Poor Zach came into the office this week and his head exploded because I introduced him to a concept of 432 hertz and 528 hertz and 8 hertz and 440 hertz. And it's all musical... Not resonance, I won't use the right word, but it has musical application, if you will. Here's what we learned, or here's what I've studied on this idea. When, the, when David says the cord, the line is gone out, when it is gone throughout all the substance, all of the earth, all of the matter... In 1960, a scientist discovered that planet Earth gives off a harmonic resonance of 8 hertz. Now, 8 hertz is so low you can't hear it. It's inaudible. Anything below 27 hertz you can't hear. But the earth itself, by measurements, is just grumbling along. Real low. Our sun gives off a resonance of 528 hertz. That sounds, I'm going to get it really wrong, but it sounds something like this. Right there. So you got the earth. And you got the sun. 
It gives off a resonance. It gives off its own harmonic sound. When the Bible says their line goes out, they literally do. Every star, every planet, every moon, every substance of matter on its atomic level literally gives off a resonant sound. Where did it come from? God, when he wrote it into existence. Every material thing resonates with what? The answer is the touch of the master composer, the conductor musician himself, God. The second discovery that is amazing to me is that on the quark lepton level, now I know you nerds, I've just excited you. (laughs) The quark lepton level is three subatomic levels but below the atom, right? The atom is that building block. But below that, scientists at CERN in Switzerland can see that when they collide these photons together, that on the quark and lepton level, when they, when they hit each other, they literally will dance or bounce as if they're resonating to music. So here's what the scientists have said, that literally on the sub-sub-subatomic level, everything is resonating with a harmonic tune. It all comes from God. And what David says here is not just, huh, that's interesting. David doesn't understand this. I mean, my soul, he wrote this a thousand years or more before Christ lived, which was 2,000 years ago. But God did. When we talk about the wonderful, we can't come to the Word of God and say, well, I didn't know what that word meant. Once you find out what it means, buddy, that becomes powerful. The realities of this truth are beyond fantastic. The psalmist king is telling us that God has revealed himself in the very musical construction of the universe. His masterful musical chord has gone out to the ends of substance. Johannes Kepler in 1619 posited that the planets seem to follow a harmonic law as they danced around the sun. You say, well, that's just gravity. Maybe it is and maybe it isn't. A wise scientist of yesteryear tells us that they followed a harmonic law. In June of 2001, three universities came together to study the idea of cosmic microwave background radiation, CMB it is called. And when they finished their study, they said this, that the whole of the universe could itself be set to music. For they have a musical chorus all their own. How many have read... The Chronicles of Narnia. How many have read The Magician's Nephew? Some of you have. That's the very first book. Some of you think it's The the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That is the second book in the Chronicles. The first book is The Magician's Nephew. In that, Diggory and Polly... See, I read to my boys. Drew's getting too old for he's too cool now. He was hoping he was out in the teen group tonight. But as I would read the books to them, it always struck me how Narnia came into... C.S. Lewis is writing a Christian fictional novel. And how did they come into existence? Here, I'll read you a couple excerpts. Just because this is not a new thing, this is a known thing. And it's time for us as Christians to wake up to the wonderful fact of who God is in His creation. Lewis says in there... He gives a vivid fictional account of how Narnia was created. And Narnia was created by Aslan, the type of Christ and God, singing. Here's a few excerpts. 
He says, in the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice had begun to sing. It was very far away, and Diggory found it hard to decide from what direction the song was actually coming. Sometimes it seemed to come from all directions at once. Sometimes he almost thought it was coming out of the earth beneath him itself. Its lower notes were deep enough to be the voice of the earth itself. There were no words. It was hardly a tune, but it was beyond comparison. The most beautiful sound he had ever heard. It was so beautiful he could hardly bear it. Later in the same chapter, Lewis goes on to write, Then two wonders happened at the same moment. One was the voice, that is Aslan, was suddenly joined by other voices, more voices than could possibly be counted. They were in harmony with it, but far higher up the musical scale, cold, tingling, silvery voices. The second wonder was that the blackness overhead all at once was ablaze with stars, Lewis writes. They didn't come out gently one by one as they do on the summer evening. One moment there had been nothing but darkness. Next moment a thousand, thousand points of light leaped out. Single stars, constellations and planets brighter and bigger than any in our own world. There were no clouds. The new stars and the new voices began exactly at the same time. If you had seen it and heard it as Diggory did, you would have felt quite certain that it was the stars themselves that were singing and that it was the first voice, the deep voice which had made them appear and made them sing. NASA's Chandra X-ray Observatory has combined the wavelengths of three different satellites on their YouTube page. They truly make a symphony. They call them data sonifications of the light wave or the microwave background radiation wavelengths. King David said their line was going out. This, my friends, is what the Milky Way's galactic sender sounds like. Turn it up. This is what your universe sounds like. So it doesn't sound very beautiful. It sounds pretty great to me. This is what their wavelengths are doing. This isn't someone doing it. They're putting to sound what the wavelengths would be in our musical notes. God. By the way, you can go to Chandra's X-ray laboratory and they have all kinds of stuff like that. It's wonderful. And they hate God. But they love his creation. It's a wonderful creation from a beautiful designer. David uses the phrase, their words, again in verse 4, which indicates they have meaning. Tones and sounds have physical effects on our body. I wouldn't ascribe myself to the spirituality mysticism that delves too deeply into this realm, but neither would I dismiss it wholly that the tones have effects on our body. What David is saying is that if we listen, we can hear, see, and know God through the patterns he has established in the physical universe. Music is the product of harmonic resonance, and harmonic resonance is a part of the physical structure of the universe. We have a wonderful God. And he displays himself night after night, the Bible says. 
The latter half of verse 4 to verse 6, we see the mastery of our son. God has set it in its course. David said it is within this pattern that God set the son in its tabernacle. Our son was made for us. Interestingly enough, if you study our sun, our sun is traveling along the spiral arm of the Milky Way galaxy at 143 miles per second. Our Milky Way galaxy is traveling around and ultimately towards something called the Great Attractor at what seems to be the center of the universe at 280 miles per second. That is while we rotate around the gravity well of our sun at 18.6 miles per second. Combining the total motion and speed of gravity on your body, it comes to 441 miles per second while you're listening to me that you are hurtling through this vast creation. You and I both should be very glad that God has mastery over His creation. If God was so intentional with the seemingly limitless vastness of space, then how much more important is the specific revelation of himself? David muses more about the word of God than he does about the wonders of heaven. From verses 7 through 14, so should we. Notice then, number two, the holy word of God. If the heavenly wonders are great for us, then how much better is the word of God for us? We've sung the song, you could sing Psalm 19, verses 7, 8, and 9 as verses. Verse 10 serves as the chorus. I won't make you sing it tonight, but you can, and probably all of us have. But these are the lessons on the Word of God. God speaks particularly to you. He speaks generally in the heavens, but He speaks particularly in His Word to you. God wrote the Bible so that you and you alone can understand it. Now, wait a second. Peter says it's no private, uh, uh, the scripture is not of any private interpretation. I'm not saying it's only known by you, but he wrote it so that you and you alone can understand it. He wrote it so that I and I alone can understand it. In other words, I don't need to have the preacher teach me everything out of the Bible. David is saying here, look, take the Bible seriously and your life will be sublime. It is your book to discover God, that very wonderful God of the heavens. That makes it, letter A, the precious word of God. The vast creator becomes a valuable sustainer only through his word. If he just created and left it alone, we'd be deists. The word of God, as David says, truly is more to be desired than gold, yea, than Much fine gold. David gives us key words to focus on as we consider the value of God's word to us. The law, the testimony, the statutes, the commandments, all speak to various aspects of what God's word does for us or what it is to us. While the fear of the Lord and the judgments or the decisions that God makes speak to the various ways in which He works through His Word for us. The precious commodity of God's Word is found in the comparison to how vast the universe is in relation to how specific the Word of God is. Where it is generally applicable, the Word of God is particularly applied every day in your life. This is what David is driving home. Trillions upon trillions of stars make up the universe. Just 1,300 chapters make up the sum of God's specific revelation that He would have for us. 
In many times as a pastor, I wish the trillions upon trillions of stars were Bible verses and truths that I could give to you and that the 1,300 chapters of the Bible were the stars of the heavens. Because there's sometimes when I take the word of God and try to help someone's life and it doesn't help, maybe because they don't want it, maybe because I don't explain it right. I wish sometimes there was more to it. Friends, this is valuable. It has all that does pertain to life and godliness. The value is found in its function for us. God's word, he says in these verses, is perfect in verses 7 through 10. It's perfect, how? In converting our souls. It is sure in making us wise. It is right in encouraging our hearts. It is pure in that it builds our confidence. It is clean by producing eternal value and reward for us. Does the precious nature of God's word bring you to it day by day? Or are you more taken with the beauties and wonder of the universe than you are with the precious nature of this book? What a contrast in Psalm 19. Both in David's mind are good, but I must point out as a pastor, this is better. It should be more precious. Just as we marvel at God's heavenly wonders, we should much more embrace His holy word. The word is found in the divinely precious, excuse me, the holiness is found in the divine preciousness of God's word. But it is also the powerful word of God. In verses 11 through 14, he tells us what it does, its effect, its power. So what does God's word do in your life? Well, David tells us the power of God's word is found in that it first warns us that keeping the word of God brings life and reward in verse 11. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Do you believe that? Well, I mean, I know what the Bible says, but I mean, come on, Kyle. Come on, nothing. (laughs) If the Bible says it and it gives a reward for doing whatever it says, then I reckon you should do that. I would suppose it's a good idea. In verse 12, its power is seen in the fact that it teaches us our errors and not only teaches us our errors, but it provides cleansing in the correction process. In verse 13, God's word ensures that sins cannot overpower us. Rather, we can overcome them through the book. Finally, in verse 14, the word of God allows us to be acceptable in the sight of God. It's interesting in verse number 14, he says, We are acceptable in, the sight of the, in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Can I tell you, that is a foreshadowing of what the Holy Spirit and what Jesus Christ are. The Holy Spirit is our strength. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. The Holy Spirit is our enabling. Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. He says, how am I acceptable when I'm in this book, when I see the power of it, and it is very precious to me. So in closing tonight, the heavenly wonders of God teach us that we are finite. As you stare Helplessly, it seems, sometimes up into the vastness of the universe, you are reminded just how little you are. Yet in that universe, we can gaze upon his infinite purpose and pattern. I made a note this this week as I was finalizing the message. 
We're guaranteed what in the Bible? 70 years, right? right? Supposedly. If you live 70 years upon this earth or on this earth within the realm of what we've talked about tonight, you will travel through the universe 971,308,800,000 miles in that 70-year lifespan. That's pretty impressive. I mean, no car will give you that warranty. 971 billion. If you live to be 80, you make it into the trillion mile club. I don't even know if they give a card for that in heaven. Maybe they do. Stop and think about that. It really brings into perspective what we're doing with our life and with our time right here on this earth. One mile per millisecond. 441 miles per second. Every time I say it, we're traveling another 800 to, not, to 1,200 miles. Whee! Here we go. It is God's word, however, that must become both precious and powerful as we exist on this firmament, on this earth. Why? So that we might be acceptable. What a waste it would be to travel 970 billion miles through the universe and get to heaven and God say, how little you knew about He's given us a book to know everything about him. Father, help us as we...